questions, unmute your mic if you have a question, raise your hand, that sort of thing. And we'll go from there and answer questions as we go along. So on my other screen here, I got a bunch of different things pulled up that I kind of wanted to cover today. But um, I guess we'll just start with what is a PMA. So a PMA is a private membership association. They are not very well known here in New England. So if you're up in my neck of the woods, you've probably never heard of them before. They're well, you have, you just don't know it, but they're more popular down south. So uh, in parts of Texas, there are still dry counties where if you want to go in and get a drink while you have a burger and fries, you need to be a part of that membership or that drinking club. And that's kind of how they get around the whole um, uh, dry county type thing from the prohibition. So here in Connecticut specifically, we have a couple PMAs set up and there's more popping up everywhere from the East Coast to the West Coast out to Hawaii. And there are a, a bunch of different types of businesses that are doing it. I guess you could call them that. You know, they're um, everything from farms to butcheries to education associations. So under the umbrella of a PMA, you have your three types. So you have your, your standard PMA, which is a membership where people get together, whether it's to learn how to garden or whatever the, the they're going to do within their PMA, they have more of a club, we'll call it. Then you have your education associations. Those education associations are geared towards more of the educating, whether it's teaching people how to live a more holistic life or you want to teach children and deprogram them from the schools that they're going to on a regular basis. Then if you are a health practitioner, whether you're a nurse, a doctor, chiropractor, dentist, homopathic doctor of some type, or in that field, you could run your practice as a private health association. So those are the three basics. And then from there, those can also be a faith-based organization. So there could be some type of faith involved with that PMA, whether it's a faith in nature or a faith in God, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, when people talk faith, they think, oh, Catholic, Protestant, um, Jewish, that sort of thing. It has to be, you know, it could be a faith in a higher being. Um, and the reason for that is because there's a few benefits to having it that way. Um, when you start looking at different tax laws and tax codes and that sort of thing. And then the, the, the next level, I guess we could call it, or the top would be a unincorporated church or ministry that is also a private association. So we'll kind of dive into all those a little bit. If you have questions, you should be able to uh, chime in, feel free. And um, I think I have it open right now where everybody can ask Q&A. So feel free to put it in the chat. I'll keep an eye on the chat here if you have anything. And then uh, if not, if you're on your phone, I believe you can dial in and use the code to be able to ask questions. Again, I'm not sure how the front end works on this. This is only my second time going live on here and doing it this way. So where does the PMA get its, we'll call it authority? So the PMA, and, and I wish there was a dummies guy for PMAs. It'd be a lot easier, I think, to explain some of this stuff. But where we pull from when it comes to PMAs is it comes from the U.S. Constitution, state constitutions, the Bill of Rights. Um, there's some things out of the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers, if you've ever read those. Then a lot of it has to do with court cases and standing court cases. So in the beginning of this, when I said you are familiar with PMAs without even knowing it, there are some that you may not even be aware of. So uh, right off the bat, you have the NAACP which is a private membership association. You have your bar association. You have, uh, let's see if I can pull it up here. What are some of the other ones? I can't ever think of all of them off the top of my head. Um, the Boy Scouts of America is another um, private membership association of sorts that has won cases based on um, the way they are set up. So those are just some of the ones that are just like, you wouldn't even think of it, but they're there, right? And there's been some others. And of course, because I need to know what they are, I can't find it in my document that I have pulled up. It's all about churches right now. Anywho, let's go back to some of the court cases. So 
with those court cases, you have, um, and there's a lot. So Google Scholar, great place to look at. You can also get a free, I think it's 30 days to Westlaw. Now, if you have a tablet or iPad, you could download the Westlaw app and that allows you to uh, search a whole bunch of court cases for free, but it's not as in depth as when you pay for it going through their main site. So I kind of go back between the app and my tablet, depending on what I'm using for a device and the Google Scholar. So there's a couple ones that you really want to take a look at. And um, I've said these before, and I don't even know if I can put these in the chat. Let me see if I can copy and paste this. For those of you who are following on the chat, let me see if this works. This might. So yeah, okay, so that went in the chat. So, um, and I'll put some of these in the chat for you. A lot of this information you can find on East Coast PMA. There's documents I've put in there and stuff like that. Also the Telegram group. And so one of them is the, like I said, the NAACP, they have a bunch. If you type in private membership associations, private education associations, um, those will come up. You'll be able to see the NAACP versus Alabama, uh, NAACP versus Button, and a lot of those where where the states or people wanted to get access to the members list of the NAACP. And they fought and said, no, we don't have to give that to you in a nutshell because they're a private association. They're operating the private. They're not open to the public or anything like that. So that's where they actually went through the court process and won their cases where it said the state had no standing to ask a private membership association for their members list. So that goes to show you that there is protection within the PMAs. Now, um, some other ones, there's a good one out of Connecticut, uh, Griswold versus Connecticut, Mayor versus Nebraska, Peer Society, or Peers versus Society of Sisters. Um, that one has to do with privately owned schools and the rights of pupils and parents. And then um, uh, a real old one from 1906 is Hale versus Hinkle. And that not only talks about private, but it also talks about the natural person versus the artificial person. Because if you start looking up definitions and all words have meanings, if you look up the definition of a person, whether it's taxes or anything along those lines, look in the Black Law Dictionary, it, it gives you a different definition than what you think a person is, uh, the man or woman type thing. So that's kind of where we get our standings for the, the the PMAs. And if you're looking at the Constitution, you want to look at the 1st and 14th and the 5th, 10th, stuff like that. A lot of it has to do around, though, the 1st and the in the 10th. I'm sorry, the 1st and the 14th uh, with a right of association and and that sort of thing. And, your, and all your guaranteed rights by the Bill of Rights. Right. So um, that brings me to a good point. Uh, let me see if I can find that document. So... Um, and I think this is on East Coast PMA. I did a whole like little write-up of some some uh, information I was looking up as far as the difference between public and private, public corporation, private corporation, that sort of thing. Uh, and you will be able to, I think if you go to East Coast PMA, it should be up there. If it's not, I'll put it up there. But it goes into the different types of private because there's more than one type of private, if you can believe that. So that's important to understand and to go through that and then... The, what I really wanted to pull up with, uh, let's see, where did I put it? Um, so this is important. So in, in our documents, we use the word unalienable rights. Now you'll hear a bunch, you'll hear it two ways, inalienable rights or unalienable rights. And you can think of it this way. You're, and this is what we get from the constitution, well, or what guarantees our rights from God or the higher power, however you want to look at it. And that is unalienable unalienable rights is isn't capable of being sold or transferred right um so i'll put this in the chat so you can take a look at it for those of you who are online here and then there's also inalienable rights which are not capable of being surrendered or transferred without the consent of one posing such rights and that's morris versus state and here i'll throw that in there too so that being said, if you're not aware to what type of contractor act you're actually uh, getting into or what you're doing, you could, in a way, form, shape, or form, give those inalienable rights away. So you can surrender, sell, or trade inalienable rights 
if you consent either actually or constructively, inalienable rights are not inherent in men. So they're not from God or from a higher power, however you want to look at it, like unalienable rights. So it's, you know, once you start going down this path of PMAs, you start to realize that there's a lot of words out there and a lot of things that you thought you knew the meaning until you really start looking at the legal side of it or the legalese. So here, I'll throw this in the chat too. So if you want to take a read, you can. And then this this should also be on East Coast PMA. I don't believe it's in the Telegram group, but I'll throw it in there. Um, and then it gives you some cases to look at. So once you kind of understand, okay, um, I get the PMA allows me to, to operate privately. I can have unlimited contracts. I can operate without the government, we'll call it, um, overreach and telling me I can't gather or I can't um, congregate with you know, uh, people in my community, or I can't have a farm open and it has to be shut down during, you know, these, these, these lockdowns that were coming out and, and that sort of thing. So once you start to wrap your head around that and that you don't need to ask for permission, this kind of all starts to make a little more sense. And what happens is once people's light bulb starts to go off and they're like, Hey, I really want to know how to operate, we'll call it in the private then they start seeking out this information or once it starts to be brought to people's attention. So what you want to make sure you do is whether it's through me, another person that knows about private membership associations is talk to somebody, whoever's going to be setting up your documents, have more than one or two conversations with them. Make sure they really know what they're talking about because when it comes to your founding documents and your founding documents are your articles of organization, your bylaws and your membership agreement, that's really going to stay where you stand as a private organization and how you operate. So if you ever are challenged, you'll be able to show that, hey, we're doing things correctly. And the reason why I say that is because some people push PMAs out there um, that they are a end-all, be-all. They're like this magical veil that can never be pierced. And I tell everybody it's kind of like the Death Star. There's that one little hole that if you're not careful in what you're doing, can cause problems and that one minor hole is if you are creating a substantial evil or, or clear and present danger or substantial evil and i wonder if i have that pulled up that actually came out of a court case back in uh do i have that pulled up let me see if i can find it real quick and uh basically there was um what was his name now? I can't think of it. Hale? No. Uh, Shackle? Oh, man. It's going to, I see, I should have this stuff pulled up beforehand. And it's going to drive me crazy because I got so much crud on my screen here that it just amazes me that I can find anything half the time. Um, but basically, during the war, he was petitioning to uh, not have people go with the draft and instead of telling people you know he was actively pursuing people not to not to get put into the draft or to, to volunteer or anything like that for for the war so that being said um they looked at that and they created the clear and present danger or substantial evil um test and that test is basically if you think of it like I can't go into a movie theater and yell fire, right? That's not protected under freedom of speech, right? And what he was doing by actively telling people not to sign up for the draft and to basically dodge it, they looked at that as saying, no, that is not protected under freedom of speech. And then that's where the um, where it came from, that clear and present danger of substantial evil. So if you're doing something in your PMA that could be looked at as, hey, well, I'm teaching people how to use, I don't know, um, to make pipe bombs, let's just say, right? Something really bad, right? If it got out into the wrong hands and could cause serious damage. Like I can't sit there and disseminate information on how to do this and say, hey, this is how you should do it because I could be creating a clear and present danger to one, my members and to the general public. So you want to make sure that you don't um, that you don't do anything like that and that you're operating in the um, 
in the proper manner. So that's kind of where, you know, PMAs can fail is if you're not doing it right. And there are some court cases out there which are also on East Coast uh, PMA. If you look them up on there, um, where people have had different PMAs and they failed because either one, they were taking money through their LLC, but then saying people were part of their PMA and they weren't, you can't do that. Or they had created some new medical device that has never been seen before on the face of the earth and trying to sell it to their members when that looks like they're trying to circumvent the, the um, uh, FDA. So those are just some of the things that you need to make sure you're doing correctly. Um, and then uh, let's see. Yeah. So that was, uh, do I have that one? Yeah. So this is one you can look up as a PMA that did it wrong that in the chat for all of you here that are online and then um i think that's uh what is it the u.s versus 20 2035 inc out of south dakota that's another one um and these might bring you right to the google scholar link but uh you can check it out so those are some of the pma court cases that you want to be aware of and uh again that's a real good spot to to learn also um if you Get your hands on a black law dictionary. You can get um, the older ones actually cite case law, uh, which is good for learning about uh, different words and their meanings and stuff like that. So that's kind of like your your baseline. Now, we, when you go from a standard PMA, which has no faith or religious backing to it, right? It's just a basic PMA. You can run it, you know, um, not how you want, but you're just going to run it and there's no religious aspect to it or faith. If you have something that let's say you are a natural homopathic or you want to have a PMA that has a piece of land and you want to teach people how to forage or you want to raise organic beef and you, you want to slaughter it yourself and sell it to your members, you can do all that, but maybe you're doing it more to biblical standards. So it might fall under a faith-based PMA. So um, the documents are very similar. You have your... Uh, articles of organization, you have your bylaws, you have your membership agreement, but it's geared more towards faith. And that's where you get a little bit of a break from the IRS because a faith-based organization, church, ministry, uh, that sort of thing, fall under the IRS code of 508C1A. And let's see, do I have that pulled up here? And I can tell you all about it. Um, I want to read it for you word for word, though, if I can find it properly, because a lot of churches are set up as, or faith organizations are set up as 501c3s, which are just a statutory compliant organization that has to bend to the will of the state, right? The church or the, the minister or whoever heads it up can't go out and say, don't vote for this person because they believe in abortion or whatever the, the topic might be. Unlike how churches used to be years ago where you had your black robe society, you had all these, you know, they're on the corners. They were really big in the uh, community and really helping things change or the directions that things were going in. So um, uh, let me pull up my doc here, see if I can find it. Is it here? So um, let's see. Yeah, I think this is it here. Oh, man, let me see if I can. All right, here we go. So the church, get out of there, in itself, um, you know, you have the, so the 501c3 is basically just a nonprofit charitable organization. That's all it is. As opposed to when you look at the 508c1a, and it talks about, a special rule with respect to the 501c3 organizations. When you look at the 501c3 status, a section of it, it says churches, auxiliaries, convents, association of churches. So that means anything that has that, oh, here it is more. Um, so churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, and other religious organizations, right? So that all falls under that 508C1A, which is automatically tax exempt 
according to the IRS and the the uh, U.S. code. Um, this is also on there if you want to take a look at it and uh, read a little bit more. But basically, one of the questions I get is, okay, well, if I have a 508, what do I have to file? Well, you don't have to file anything with First of all, you don't file your documents anywhere with a PMA. Those are your private documents. If your members want to see them, they can. If you're opening a checking account, the bank might want to see them. But other than that, you don't file your documents anywhere. And that's the same thing when it comes to with the IRS. If you're a faith-based organization or an unincorporated church or ministry, there's nothing for you to file because all the funds that come in are tax exempt automatically. Now, if you need an, you know, if you are paying somebody, that's a different story. If you have somebody that's working for you as a contracted employee or that sort of thing. Um, but again, that's on a case by case basis. I don't want to put anything out here because I don't want anybody to say, well, Aaron said it's this and it's not that it's, it changes so much from state to state and county to county and town to town that you really want to make sure you're working with somebody in your specific area. Now, if you're in Connecticut, I can probably help you out a little bit more than if you were in Idaho, right? Or something like that. So, um, but what's really important, and I think it'd be great if more churches realized this, is that if they got rid of their 501c3 status, they could have stayed open during the lockdowns. They didn't have to worry about being hauled off to jail because they were going against some stupid, ridiculous mandate that you can't congregate within your church to celebrate your religion and to fellowship with others, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And being set up as a 508c1a, you could do that. Now, I'm trying not to get too far off topic here on this, but keep in mind that there is a difference between statutory compliant and non-statutory compliant. So there are some places out there that will do uh, that will set you up as a church as a 508C1A. But you'll uh, from the documents I've seen, they write statutory compliant, meaning that they are going to write in their documents that this entity, this church, will follow all state rules and regulations, basically something along those lines, and that will adhere to all codes and rules and that sort of thing up opposed to what we write where when i write a document it's non-statutory compliant meaning that there's nothing in there that says this pma will follow all rules and regulations of the state of connecticut town of tolland or whatever town that you're in or county right they're they're non-statutory compliant for a reason and that's because we don't want the overreach of the government. We want to be able to say, I want to meet this Sunday night or this Wednesday with our ordained minister and have a meeting and not be told by somebody that sits in some bureaucratic office that we can't meet more than four non-household members together or something ridiculous like that. So that's the important when you're when you're going through this or whoever you're talking to, make sure you see if they're doing statutory, non-statutory compliant. And again, really do your due diligence because I've had to help a lot of people out that didn't and then they paid a good piece of money. I mean, anything over a dollar is a good piece of money to me. Like you got to make sure you're making sure what you're spending your money on. And then, um, you know, uh, making sure you're, you're getting what you, you think you're getting. So that's kind of the, the benefit of having the, uh, the unincorporated church, uh, ministry or the 508 portion being referenced in your founding documents for your faith-based organizations. Um, just going to check the chats real quick. Doesn't look like we have anybody who has questions. All right. And then, uh, all right, got a few guests on here. Thank you all for coming on and listening. I appreciate it. And uh, again, this is always more fun if you guys have questions. So I think you should be able to unmute yourself. You should be able to type something in the chat if you want or unmute yourself on the phone. Be more than happy to answer any questions that, that you might have. Um, is, here's one. Is there a difference between a PCA and a PMA? What do you consider? What, what is a PCA? Now, I just want to make sure I have the acronym right. If you could put that in the chat for me, that would be great. Um, private contract association. So I'm going to say yes, because I have never, you're the first one to ever bring this up to me. Um, now I know that an unincorporated business trust is very similar in the way that it works to a PMA or PMAs are very similar to trust and the fact that they can hold uh, assets, property, um, anything along those 
types of things. And they both can be passed on to successor trustees and that sort of thing. So um, I'm not familiar. I'll have to look into the private contract association. But in essence, a PMA is set up to allow its members to have unlimited private contracts between its members and other PMAs. And if you choose other entities or legal fictions, like let's say I need to do a wholesale food order from Azure Farms and I want to make sure that I'm getting the best possible pricing for our members, we can go out and we have one, but you can go out and get an EIN for banking purposes only. And that EIN would also be allowed to use for wholesale purchases for your organization. So um, if I, I'm going to have to look into the private contract association, I really am not familiar with those. I'm guessing it's probably very similar, uh, maybe just another name as opposed to somebody writing a private membership association, they're saying a private contract association, because at the end of the day, it's a contract that you're signing privately, you're taking yourself out of the quote unquote public entity where the, the three letter agencies and the local government can say, hey, you can do this, you can do that, right? Like if I want to have a farm or a homestead and I want to sell free range eggs and I want to sell goat's milk because I have goats that's unpasteurized, I should be able to do that and sell it to my members without the infringement of the government. And that's where PMAs come in because maybe that's how I produce uh, income for my family. That's how we survive. And if that's how I make my living, there should be no laws that tell me that I can't do that, right? So um, and I wish I had that in front of me. There's there's a part of that in the, uh, uh, anyways, I'll pull it up uh, in another one where we'll talk about stuff like that where it's an actual, uh, wait, is it on here? Where it actually references a case where, um, you know, you should be allowed to be able to produce a income um, for your, oh, actually, maybe it's right here. Let me see if it's in this my book here um, that I jot that down. I needed this for something else. Um, yeah, liberty denotes uh, merely freedom from bodily restraint, but also the right of an individual to contract, to engage in any of the common occupation of life, to acquire useful knowledge, or to marry, establish a home, and bring up children to worship God according to the dictates of his own consciousness. And that is Meyer versus Nebraska, which I referenced in another case on here. So there are standing court cases that allow you to do certain things. And that's why I say it's really important and your head will just kind of go explode because of all the information that's out there. But get yourself a thumb drive and start putting these cases on there because it's, it's really important to understand where these cases pull from and how they're used. So between Google Scholar and Black Laws Dictionary, you got more than enough to, to read. And then... There's always a jurisprudence you can look into. Like I have one here that, that defines um, uh, privacy. And that's one of the biggest things about, I think, with PMAs is people just want to be left alone, right? I just want to be able to exist with people that I want to associate with, that I want to make a living to provide for my family without being told that I can or can't do something. And that's where these PMAs come in. Now, the... What we have here in Connecticut, we have Liberty House, and um, that's actually a ministry, an incorporated ministry. So that's kind of like the next tier up from your faith base. So you start off when I talk to people like, hey, okay, I want to buy a piece of land and I want to have it where people can come and camp on it. We can forage. We can learn how to you know, hunt or whatever it's going to be. Okay, well, maybe that's just a standard PMA. And then if they, the conversation gets led to where... Uh, you know, there's more of a religious aspect to it or faith-based. And then I say, okay, well, then let's start looking at the faith-based PMAs. Um, they both provide the same amount of protection, except once you start talking faith and bringing an ecclesiastic-type law and that sort of thing, you start to have more of that separation of church and state. Now, with us here, we have Liberty House, and that is a ministry, an unincorporated ministry. We have our own ordained minister. We meet once a week. Uh, we've just recently started meeting once a week to do a fellowship outside of all the other things we do. But where ministries and unincorporated churches come in really well is where you have people that want to 
really help their local community. So maybe it's building that local community with a whole bunch, I hate to use the word like-minded people, but like-minded people where they all for the greater good want to learn how to, you know, be able to provide for themselves to be able to, you know, have a homestead or, or learn different life skills. We'll leave it at that, I guess. That is where it's really good where a a church or an incorporated ministry can come in and say, "Okay, well, we're going to provide this shelter, so to speak, for you, where we're going to meet every Tuesday for a potluck and maybe you bring in a speaker or you have special classes like we've done preparedness, we've done foraging, we've done communication. There's all these different things, but it's all under the ministry of providing a better life experience, I guess is the best way to put it, for our members while enhancing their own life skills and being able to provide that religious aspect to it should they want it. So we have people that believe in nature. We have people that are Jewish. We have people that are Christian and Catholic. So, you know, it's not just, oh, you have to be Southern Baptist to be a part of this. And again, that's just how we have it set up. So the top of the the food chain, we'll call it, would be your, your unincorporated churches or ministries. And I think the most of those that I've set up are for people that are really looking to do more of an outreach to really build a local community. Not saying that you couldn't do that with the regular standard PMA or the faith-based. And then uh, let's see, what are some of the other questions I get? So EINs, um, do you need one? Not necessarily. What is an EIN? It's an employer identification number, and it's more for banking when we get them. Now, you can get EINs for LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, partnerships, sole proprietorships, anything like that. When we set them up, it's to get, or I shouldn't say we, but when we basically help you set it up because we can't do it for you. Um, when you go through the IRS website and everything, it's to set it up as a uh, faith-based organization for banking purposes only. And then that allows you to open up checking and savings accounts and that sort of thing. Now, if you want it to be completely private and not go that route, well, then there's other options. You could use crypto. Uh, Monero, um, not that I use crypto at all, really. Uh, Monero, I think is how you say it, is a very private crypto. Uh, you could use Liberty Dollar Financial Association, which is what we use because they are actually a PMA themselves that offer the banking-like services, all backed by silver, which then helps you beat inflation and not add to the deficit, which is great. So we we personally use that. I know some people do, some people don't. It really depends on the trustees. And a lot of this stuff falls on the trustees. So uh, this morning I had a conversation with some people and they were like, well, what happens if, you know, a trustee is getting older and they, you know, are, you know, are ending their life expectancy and they want to pass this on? Well, then that would be a successor trustee. And then everything that that PMA holds would just go on to the next trustees and none of it would have to go through probate court or anything like that. Um, very similar to an unincorporated business trust. And in some cases, people put their PMAs in an unincorporated business trust and that trust controls the PMA. And that's how Liberty Dollar is set up. Um, I don't think there's um, a good or a bad to that. It's just, that's how some people want to do it. Again, if, uh, and I've said this before, if you run into somebody that says there's only one way to do this and this is the right way, um, be leery of that. There, there's always more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. And that doesn't mean that there aren't certain structures to your founding documents that you need in there. There's not, that doesn't mean there aren't certain ways that it needs to be written. It just means that if somebody says this is the end all be all, ah, I'd question that, you know, a, a little bit. Um, so that's EINs. They're just really for banking purposes only. You don't necessarily need one. Um, you will if you want to get wholesale stuff for your members or anything like that or set up a, a co-op for food unless you're working directly with local farmers. Um, how long does it take to get an EIN? That's another question I usually get. Um, for a while, we were doing them by mail and fax, but now you can do it right online, even for the unincorporated um, faith-based uh, faith organizations or uh, churches. So you can do that on there. Uh, let's see. What other questions? I'm just kind of go through my question list here um, that people normally ask. Uh let me see here. So um, 
All right. So what is a, well, we already answered that, what a PMA is. Who can own a PMA? Uh, anyone can own a PMA that wants to conduct their business privately. Now, that being said, it may not work for all businesses because you might need a license to get something, whether it's a certain type of chemical or something like that, depending on what you're doing. So that being said, as I knock my mic here, myself as a real estate agent here in um, Connecticut, I have, you know, I've talked to other people that are in real estate and they're like, well, have you moved your business to uh, a PMA? No, I haven't. And why? Just because it doesn't make sense for me to move my real estate business. Um, I think it would be too cumbersome to try to run that way. And then to get people that aren't on the same page as the rest of us that are here on this uh, call or anything like that um, would then I'd have to explain everything to what a PMA is as opposed to just saying, Hey, listen, I'm a realtor. I can help you buy or sell, put it on the MLS and all that stuff. I lose access to all those things. So, and I don't necessarily want to create that all on my own. Uh, let's see a uh, quick question here. All right. So when you have a PMA, where does most of the backlash come from? Do you have a lot of interference from government? Is there going to be a lot of run-ins with municipalities, state or local governments? Is there important legal knowledge I need to know to protect myself? So this is great. Um, yes, 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 and yes. No, um, you will be challenged at some point. I always tell everybody that. That's why I think it's important that everybody goes to um, the jurisdictionary course by Dr. Graves, How to Win in Court Without a Lawyer, to really understand um, at like, we'll call it like an eighth grade level, how the court system works and really understand civics. Uh, as much as you can. Uh, I know that's just another thing to add to all this learning of PMAs, but if you are challenged, you need to know how to you know, stand up for yourself or how to hire the right constitutional attorney that'll do it for you and making sure you can keep them in check. Now, where we've seen a lot of pushback has been... Um, I'm sorry, I just got a text from my wife. I had to see what it said real quick. Uh, where we've seen a lot of pushback from has been the private education associations, particularly in Jersey and Michigan. Um, or was that Minnesota? No, Michigan. And it's just because of the states that they're in. Um, we have a few PEAs here operating in Connecticut. And as of right now, I don't think any of them have had any pushback. What has happened in other states is that their version of well, here in Connecticut, it's Department of Children and Family Services. They call them different things in different states, have come out and basically said that you're operating on an unlicensed daycare or education facility where kids are getting dropped off and so on and so forth. So that being said, um, we've seen pushback there. However, They've won. Uh, one's still going on, but we've had a couple wins, which has been great um, from other advisors that I learned with that created documents. And it's one because these people that had these P, uh, these ministries or these private education associations stood their ground and didn't back down and try to get railroaded by the um, the system. And once, uh, so like one of the ones out of Jer was Jersey, if I remember correctly. One of the ones out of Jersey, once she went through her battles, the state basically came back and found some obscure statute that they're like, oh, you know what? We're going to let you keep operating your, your private education association the way you are. Uh, but here, just sign this and don't sue us. And I told her, I said, well, once they told you that, you had them. They knew they were wrong and there's nothing else they could do. So, you know, that's kind of... Uh, what we've been seeing happen, another one, um, and I've got to talk with the individual, but her case got dismissed. Um, there's still a little cloudiness around uh, what's going on with her, but um, basically what it had been is these these people from these agencies have come out and said, oh, we want to inspect your facility, and the people are like, no, we're not open to the public. We're a private association, and, um, and I'm going to pull up something real quick while I'm talking here, and uh, so... They, of course, get all upset because they're like, no, I should be able to come in here and, you know, look at this. You're op you're operating a unlicensed daycare facility or whatever you want to call it and basically go back and forth, back and forth. And um, 
I've helped them with some letters and stuff to send to the town and state really describing what you are using cases. And this is where cases come important because you can say, well, this case here with Griswold versus Connecticut or this case here, even if it's, I mean, it'd be better if it was in your district. And if it's not, then reference, you know, something else or Supreme court case or an appellate court. But, um, showing them that you know what you're talking about you're just not some person that bought some documents online for 300 bucks or whatever you paid from some website and said hey look i'm operating as this you need to know how to really um articulate it and these are the ones that we've seen challenge the most now so far we're we're winning and um we haven't lost anything as far as i know personally now that could change tomorrow but as of right now that's kind of where we're at with the uh the um the different court cases or being challenged we have seen some stuff with zoning uh personally for us here in connecticut we had one zoning like really like i wouldn't even call it like a it wasn't even a conflict it was just more of like who the heck are liberty house and why are they meeting there right and that probably could have been all avoided if we just went you know the trustees went to the town hall and went to zoning and said hey yeah we're we're subleasing this spot and we're going to be meeting with our members you know Think of it like an AA meeting and uh, leave it at that, right? I don't need to go into all this detail, but their whole thing was they found out that we were meeting there. We had a lot of people in this one spot, and they're like, well, you know, is, is, is it zoned for that? Is, is, is there adequate fire extinguishers and all this other stuff, which really doesn't matter at the end of the day? But that's the closest we've ever come to here personally, but I know there's a bunch of different uh, private education associations in Connecticut. And... What I've now been telling people is if somebody shows up from the state, right, or whoever and says, oh, I want to come in and look at your place. And, you know, sometimes it's easier instead of being super confrontational with people that, you know, you got to kind of pick your fights. I'd say, okay, not a problem. You can come in, but you've got to sign our membership agreement. You've got to pay the $5 fee for the day, and then we can let you in. And then when you look at the documents that I write, what they're, when, when they sign this agreement, they're agreeing that um, they're joining, um, let's say this one I pulled up, a faith-based private association under common law whose members seek to help each other achieve a better health, education, and good quality of life. My activities within the association are private contract will matter that I refuse to share with local, state, and federal investigation enforcement agencies. I fully agree not to pursue any course of legal action against a fellow member of the association unless that member has exposed me to a clear and present danger of substantial evil upon the recommendation and the approval of the association. And then it goes on to say, I entered in this agreement of my own free will without any pressure or cohesion. As an association member, I am affirming that I'm joining in the capacity of a private member and not the capacity to represent any local, state, or federal agency whose purpose is to regulate association business or to carry out any mission of enforcement, entrapment, or investigation. So by signing this, and they're adults, they, they should be able to read, right? And you can even highlight it. Now they come in and whatever they find in there, they, they, they can't use it against you. And if they try to, you just go to court and say, Your Honor, here's our bylaws, here's our articles of organization, here's our member, you know, our minutes of our meeting, here's our membership agreement that Mr. Smith signed when he wanted to come in and look at the facility. We're open to the private. If he didn't sign this, we wouldn't we weren't gonna let him in, right? And it's not like they're gonna get a warrant to come kicking in your door the most we've seen so far is an injunction to stop having kids dropped off at a facility and that's because they said there was a clear and present danger to the kids not wearing masks and this was in the height of the pandemic or yeah about there right in the middle of the pandemic and uh you know my first thing was well how do they know one they shouldn't be trespassing onto your property two if they're looking in your windows and taking photos or whatever they're doing that's a form of voyeurism and that's illegal so maybe criminal complaints need to be filed against these people and that's where a lot of understanding how this the legalese work at a basic level and then getting into some of these different groups that are out there that legitimately know how to use the system and not hey, I have an all capital letters name with a gold fringe flag and I don't need to do this or whatever. They're, they're trying to sell you on that. Um, we call it patriot mythology type stuff. That silver bullet or, hey, this affidavit, if you buy it for $300, will solve all your problems. That's not how affidavits work. But if you want, we could always do a call on that someday. But that's kind of where we've seen pushback. And that's why I say it's very important to have really well-written founding documents that show that you are operating the private 
you're here for your members. You're not open to the general public. And so long story short, I was talking to an attorney uh, a couple days ago and they even brought up the point that you should have a screening process. You should have some type of requirement, whether it's a, you know, a, a sponsor from somebody that's already in the association to sponsor in somebody else, kind of like, you know, uh, you know, if you look at like the bar association, you have to have gone to law school. You had to pass the bar exam to be able to be an attorney that's part of the bar, right? So, uh, having those qualifications just edifies it even more of a private association that has standards, and that's where you need to make sure you're you you have these standards, and it's not just hey, I've got this PMA, I'm going to go do whatever I want. So that was a great question. I th really appreciate that. That was good. Um, so I just want to check our time here. Yeah, we're getting close to the end, but uh, let's see. What else do we have for questions that I normally get asked? Uh, so uh, this one, if uh, you're in Canada, people ask in Canada if they can have it. Yes, you have the Charter of Rights um, of Canada that provides some of the provides the protection for the PMAs. It's very similar to um, our. Bill of Rights, in, in, in a sense, you have the Human Rights Act of 1998 and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That doesn't mean that, I mean, like Canada's rough right now, right? Like that guy's just a straight up dictator up there. Um, so that doesn't mean you won't have a fight on your hands. But I know I've talked with people in Australia that during the, the, the peak of everything were, she had a yoga studio and she still does and was you know, she had gotten fined, but they never came and shut her down. She still had people come in and she had all these fines and eventually the fines just went away. But, um, you know, she can, she still did it and she had it plastered all over her door, private membership association. And I would always say, you know, you want to have something on your door, your window that says, this is a private membership association, you know, that sort of thing. And we can help with the wording for that, depending on what type of association you have. Um, I think it's just one more step. You know, you want to do everything you can to make it blatantly clear that this is who you are. This is how you're operating and you're not doing this in the, um, uh, in the, in the public. So, um, some other associations, I know I was talking this before, so I talked about the NAACP, the Bar Association, uh, state and federal, the American Medical Association, um, men's, women's, boys, and girls clubs, stuff like that. Um, those are some other ones. Um, trying to think, what else do I have here for questions? Oh, should I join a PMA for their benefits or create my own? Well, that's something that is completely up to you. Um, oh, wait, let's see here. Do you, we'll go back to the other question. Do you have your PMA in a private trust? Do you have any knowledge on private trust and whether or not that's beneficial? So um, I personally don't. I know people that have. Um, the only thing that I used outside of real estate for trusts is um, a unincorporated business trust, common law trust, Boston trust, Massachusetts trust. They're all kind of uh, the same thing. Um I've got some information on East Coast PMA on those. And that one is a kind of fill in the blanks, right? Um, it's very, I don't want to use the word generic. It gives you everything you need for an unincorporated business trust. You can set it up. Um, you have to have your creator, your your trustees, your beneficiaries, that sort of thing. Um, the, the way I look at PMAs, though, is they're very, very similar to trust and the fact that they can hold assets. They can, they have trustees. The trustees can have successors and all that sort of thing. Um, but if you even want more, I don't know if the shielding is the right word I want to use, but more ambiguity, ambiguous. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, if you want to have, if you wanted to be more a little more clouded as to who owns the or who the trustees are of the PMA, then you could put the PMA inside of a trust. And then the business trust can do a lot of the same things that a PMA can. It's really a case by case basis on what somebody's trying to to do. So, um, uh, Let's see here if I can find the stuff on trust real quick. I'll give you some references to take a look at. Um, I don't know if I have it up though. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, he, here is the court case uh, that I was referencing earlier. And uh, of course, I find it now, but this is um, Shank, if I spell it correctly, C A V States. So if you look at this one here, this is where the clear and present danger of substantial evil came from. Pop this into like YouTube and there'll be um, discussions about it that kind of gives you a brief about how it goes. So it's Shank versus United States. And this is uh, talks about where they came up with the clear and present danger test, so to speak, um, to see if something falls under uh, the First Amendment or not. Um, so you can check that out. And then let's see here. Where did I put that trust stuff? Uh, so, yep. Uh, yeah. So the, the unincorporated business trust is also sometimes referred to as the common law trust, the Massachusetts trust, um, the Boston trust, and I'm trying to find something, uh, what I'll do is if you go to East Coast PMA, it goes into a lot more of this, but it has, that's a lot of advantages. So there's, there's basically like 10 advantages to having it. And um, I don't think it's always necessary to put a PMA inside of a trust. You could do an irrevocable trust. You could do a living trust. It's just really to cloud things a little bit more. Um, but yeah, um, you could definitely use business trusts for other things, unincorporated business trusts. Um, They've been around for a very long time. They originally started in England and then came over here. And then we've been using them here and they kind of come and go um, as far as when people need them, I guess a lot to do with what's going on in society, so to speak. Um, let me see what else. Uh, do I need a license for a PMA? No, you don't need a license for a PMA because remember, once we have a PMA, we're not asking for permission anymore. Um, we're we're doing things as they are supposed to be done in a common law uh, type situation where we're doing things to better our communities, ourselves, our families, and our members, and that we don't need to ask a you know for a right for that. Uh, let's see. What other questions do I have here? Um, hopefully that answered your question about the private trust. Um, the the biggest thing I would look up is uh, unincorporated business trust, uh, Massachusetts trust, or Boston trust, common law trust. They're all very similar. Um, you'll see some people say, "Oh no, you don't want to trust," or you know, the common law trust isn't a thing. It is. Um, if you are on our Telegram group, shoot me a message and I'll give you the, some of the case law to look up that references them. It's just one of those things where. If anything I'm doing, I want to be able to back it by sounding case law, not just some theory that somebody came up with on the internet. Like I want to be able to walk into court and be like, yeah, I have a common law trust and here's where I got this from and this is the documents and this is how it's founded. And here's some cases that say that I can do this. That's what you really want to do. And then understanding the the definitions that go behind all of it. Um, uh, what are we coming up here? We're almost getting near the end. Uh, anybody else have any questions? I know we got a few people on the line here. Does anybody want to chime in on their phone? Feel I think there's a way for you guys to do it. Um, I can unmute you. I think if anybody has any questions, anybody, just let me know. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming on today. I'm getting a little bit better with this new platform as far as recording, recording stuff and doing it live. It's a little bit different than how I was doing it before with BuzzFeed, but. Uh, this uh, talk shoe seems to work pretty well. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go right ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, so, yeah, we've been looking at the PMA stuff. Uh, just kind of found out, found out about it recently. Um, we're interested in it from the standpoint of uh, uh, educating our kids. And uh, my wife works in the medical field and is looking at, you know, being able to talk, you know, where she can talk about, uh, oh, you know, what, whether it be chiropractics, homeopathy, herbal type things and not have somebody nipping at her heels for it. And so we're the private membership stuff looked, you know, looked like it would give us a, 
a place to do that with. Um, with that, and it is, you know, a, from a standpoint of, you know, wanting to help people. And as she's learned what some of the things Big Pharma have been up to the last couple of years, she's even more uh, um, underwhelmed with uh, uh, conventional medical career. Uh, it, from what I'm learning so far, it sounds like a ministry type PMA. You know, would, would we want a separate one for the uh, home, family, education, and and, and a, or can we kind of roll it all into one, or how might that go? So that is a great question, and I can't believe I didn't even bring this up. So you can do a few different things under a under one PMA, and I'm just going to use PMA as a catch-all, whether it's a ministry or faith-based. Where it gets a little wonky is if you have one, let's say for your 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 wife is doing stuff for health and she's giving classes maybe on basic first aid or how to grow your own herbs within your garden for more natural um type remedies and then you say well i'm also going to do brake jobs and oil changes all under that pma those are two completely separate things right so you can have an education part to a health association where maybe you have speakers come in you hold classes Mm -hmm that sort of thing. Maybe it's stretching techniques. You could throw in yoga in there, that sort of stuff. And then if you're doing something that's more education-based for children or for young adults, something along those lines, or for like families, then you that's not directly tied to a health field. You'd want to have mm-hmm. a separate PMA for that, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, it kind of does. But I was, uh, I, I've been seeing some stuff about you can just set up a PMA just for your family. Uh, and you'd only have two trustees instead of three being the uh, husband and wife or whatever. And, uh, you know, is that, that, I guess that's what I was asking was, would, would we have an umbrella on that or should that, you know, cause I think I want to do that, you know, just from the standpoint of the homeschooling, if nothing else. Um, and, uh, or maybe I don't want to do that. I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a newbie at this. Um, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like I, you know, it, it sounds cool. I think I'd like to go that route, but, uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. So you could, you could definitely have a, a family-based PMA where you have, you know, um, the parents could be the, uh, the trustees, the, the kids would be the members, um, they would be members just because of the fact that they're under, unless they're over the age of 18, they're members because, you know, the parents are the trustee yeah. and they'd automatically be incorporated into that. And then mm-hmm. the, the that PMA could hold property and, and what have you. Um, the majority of the PMAs I set up, though, not that, that that can't be done. The majority of the ones I'm setting up are more for people that have a butchery, that have a farm, that have a chiropractic Ah, mm -hmm. business, that want to be able to operate and not be told that, hey, uh, you have to work remotely or, hey, you can only sell quarters or halves of that cow. You can't sell your own steaks because then you have to go through the whole USDA process and then that meat becomes contaminated because they want to pump it full of all these different things so it's not really organic anymore. So that's normally where I've been setting stuff up. That doesn't mean you couldn't set up a, uh, a standard type PMA for the family to mm-hmm. operate privately. Um, again, I've looked at that, but if I was going to go that route and it's more for me just being able to teach the kids and that sort of thing, well, I'm going to teach my kids whatever I want because they're my kids and my property. Nobody else is going to tell me what to do if I want to pull them out of school. And then if it comes to asset protection, that's where I would – lean on my real estate side more and say, okay, I need to put everything into either a irrevocable living trust or maybe an unincorporated business trust where, you know, the beneficiaries are going to be the kids right now. And then the trustees are going to be the parents and we're going to operate our, our small business through that trust. And then as the parents get older, the, the, the kids take over as trustees and their kids become beneficiaries mm-hmm. to keep that asset protection through the family and building that wealth and handing it down through generations. Okay. All right. Um, I, you know, I, I took the, um, how to start a PMA course with, what is it? Next sky. I think it is. It's yep. okay, through David Edwards, yep. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I'm, I've, I've gone through that course. Um, 
but I, you know, is, is this, would this be a, would my situation be one you could help set up the, you know, draft the paperwork and stuff or. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want, yeah, I will, uh, I don't know if there's a way for me to message you. Are you in the, um, how did you find out about us today? Telegram. I'm in your telegram group. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Just shoot me a, a DM on there and we'll set up a time to talk and kind of dive into it a little bit more. And I can definitely help you get you going on that. Okay, great. All right. Well, I, I guess that answers my questions then. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate you jumping on and listening today. And uh, let's see, we got a few others, no other questions. Um, we're just about over an hour. So just want to say thank you everyone for jumping on. Hopefully you found this informational. Uh, we'll do this again. I do definitely like it a lot more when there is a question and answers when people interact and supposed to just listening to myself talk the whole entire time. But until next time, thanks for listening and I will see you on the uh, next episode. Peace. Thank you.